look at a story that Jesus told. Uh, if you've been around these last few weeks, you've heard of other stories that Jesus told. But Jesus would often make his most important points uh, by telling a story. And uh, tonight we're looking at a story about being lost. And, and here's why this matters. Um, the Bible makes the claim that if you are not in relationship with God, um, if you're not actively following Him, then you're lost. Uh, being lost is a major theme in the Bible, and Jesus told a story about it. I'm going to read that for us. It's Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Uh, what I'm about to read is, is, is not, this is not just a book. These are not just the words of man, but these are God's word to us. So let's give our attention to it. Verse 11 He said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. For when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Um, we need to hear from you now. So Holy Spirit, Uh, we ask you uh, to speak to us, that we might know more of you, that we might be transformed as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, All right, so I I followed my GPS uh, turn for turn all the way down here from Greenville, even though I've been to Clemson multiple times, uh, because I'm pretty bad with directions. Uh, I started driving back before uh, most people had cell phones, let alone smartphones, and so I would get lost all the time. Even now, with the phone literally telling me turn by turn where to go, I can still give it a run for its money and get lost when I'm driving. Um, I encountered this a few years ago when um, some friends of, of my wife and I called us and said, hey, 
we're going out to a cabin in Crested Butte, Colorado for vacation. And we want you to find a sitter for your kids and come and join us for a few days in the summer in the Rocky Mountains at this amazing cabin. And so we were like, yes, we're in. And Colorado's a long way away. And so we, we punched it in the GPS. We dropped the kids off. We started driving. And, we're, you know, we're doing the long drive across Kansas. Eventually, we get into Colorado. And, and I've just I've got the address of the cabin in my phone. And we're just we're tracking. And um, soon enough, we get into Colorado. We get up into the mountains. And the sun sets. It's completely, it was a beautiful sunset. But it's, then it's completely dark. And I look at the map on my phone. And, and um, if you think about when you're following a map on your phone, when the area around the road that you're on turns all green, that means there's nothing around you. There's no towns, there's no buildings, there's no exits, there's no people. It was just the road and all green around me. And, and, um, but the map just says, just keep going, just keep going straight into the mountains. And, and so the road we're on, it takes us straight up this mountain. And we begin driving up this road called Cottonwood Pass, which is a very daunting name for a pass. And this road was long. It just kept going up the mountain into the darkness. Uh, then it started raining. And uh, then the rain turned to snow. And this was August. Uh, the rain turned to snow. And the road narrowed to, uh, from a normal road to a single lane gravel road with these um, sort of hairpin switchback turns where when you're making these turns in your car, it was dark out and snowing. It just looked like this giant abyss off to the side where if you kept going, there was just nothing off the side of this cliff. But we kept making these hairpin turns. It's snowing. We're on this tiny gravel road. And I just start gripping the steering wheel tighter and tighter. And I'm like trying to play it cool to make it seem to my wife like I'm not completely terrified. And I'm just like gripping uh, this steering wheel and that we could barely see out of our windshield. We keep going. We're well above the tree line actually at this point on this road. You know that you can go up so high that trees don't grow anymore? We were driving our car above the tree line at this point and I'm starting to get really scared and I think, you know, like surely this is not the right way. Surely we're lost. And um, we're going to end up like some local news story up here. And uh, I begin to think about my friend who invited us to his cabin. And, and I think, you know, surely my friend Robert would have um, said, hey, by the way, when you get here, there's a super dicey pass you're going to have to drive over. And it's probably going to be snowing. And you're going to risk your life to get here. Surely he would have warned us. So I thought, I'm going to try to call him. And uh, so I, it, my phone's in and out of service. I managed to get a call through. And the call's sort of breaking up. And it's dark and it's snowing. My wife's getting nervous. I'm nervous. And, and I'm on the phone, and I said, hey, look, we're on some road called Cottonwood Pass, and it's snowing pretty hard, and immediately he interrupts me. And he says, what? He says, you're on Cottonwood Pass? He said, that is one of the most dangerous roads around here. And then the call drops. <laughs> and we're still going up the mountain, and I look at my wife, Erin, and there's this abyss of snow and darkness and gloom, and I'm getting really nervous and really sweaty, and I looked at her and I said, I think we're going the wrong way. And we literally start praying out loud for our safety, for God to just get us over this mountain and back down to like summer. We were in winter all of a sudden. Get us back to summer down on the other side of this mountain. We finally made it to the other side of this mountain over the pass. We get to our friend's cabin. We walked in and there was, there was another couple there. And they were eating and drinking and very merry when we got there. And, and we walk in just, you know, sweaty and fatigued and scared. And, 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 and we walk in and he said, you, you know, you guys went the wrong way. 
He said, you know, there is this like wonderful four-lane road that's flat and well-lit, and it goes around that mountain that you just drove over. That's the way that normal people go. He said, you followed the wrong map. All right, we're talking about being lost tonight. And that idea right there, if you grew up around the church, that's like a very Christian-y, churchy type word to talk about someone being lost. If you did not grow up around the church, that still feels like a very Christian-y, churchy type word to talk about someone feeling lost, where it can kind of lose its meaning. So when we talk about being lost, I want you to think about it in these terms of, of following the wrong map. Think about being lost as following the wrong map. And we are inundated with the wrong, with different types of wrong maps that all promise us something at the end of that journey. Maybe it's something like a map that charts the course for you to being accepted by other people. And so on the journey of following that map, it's, it's checking the box where I got to like hang out with the right people. So on Canvas, I got to be in the right organizations, in the right dorm, at the right place at the right time, invited to all the right things. Maybe it's a, a physical appearance thing where I've got to get my body looking a certain way to be accepted. You're following that map. Um, but it, whatever it is, uh, maybe it's like a grade in a class or getting into a grad program. Um, but but, but th- th- you're, all, you're mapping this course towards being accepted and, and it, being accepted by others is the thing at the end of the journey that you're really chasing after. And for you as, as college students, I mean, it could be a number of different maps that you're following. But here's the thing. If we're following any other map than the one that leads to Jesus, we will end up lost. Three headings I want to look at this, and you can see those on your handout. I want to look at getting lost, realizing you're lost, and then being found. First, getting lost. All right, so the younger brother in this story gives us a picture of what getting uh, lost looks like. And you see two things about his life that are present when someone is getting lost. And maybe you can relate to these two things. The first is this. He is looking for instant gratification. He's looking for instant gratification. Better than life at home with his father where he has all that he needs is a life of immediate pleasure. And all he needed was the money to make it happen, to get that immediate pleasure. Verse 12, look at it. It says, the younger brother tells his father to give him his share of the property. In this culture, the younger son would have inherited his part of the property or the family wealth when his father died. So his son is telling him here, hey, dad, the instant gratification, uh, the pleasure that I can buy, that's actually more important to me right now than you are. He's telling his dad he wishes his dad was dead so that he can receive his share. And look at verse 13. What does the younger brother do with his inheritance? He blows it all. Goes this far country, squanders it, lives recklessly. And and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you see a little bit of yourself in that. Um, It's very tempting to live like that. Maybe you've tasted that even in this last few weeks here at school. Um, And that's because it's hardwired into our DNA um, to prefer instant pleasure now that sometimes even can harm us over like the right and good lasting thing over the long haul. Um, As was mentioned, I have three daughters and the other night, uh, my youngest daughter, her name is EK, she's five years old and is an amazing human. And we were sitting there eating dinner and we, I can't remember what we served her, it was something, something very normal and balanced and healthy and, uh, and the deal was, hey, you eat this dinner, then you get dessert. And, and she, just, she just huffed and puffed, and she just wasn't having it, and she just kept bargaining with us. And, and maybe just a couple bites, Dad, can I just have this? Can I be done now? Can I be done now? Can I? And I said, well, are you full? Said, yeah, Dad, I'm full. I'm, I said, okay, all right, all right. Dad, can I have dessert? Sure, you can have dessert. So she walks over, and she gets, uh, she sets the healthy plate aside, and she gets um, 
a, a can of icing, of cake icing, out of the pantry. And then she gets, this is brilliant, then she gets a package of Scooby Snacks. And she scoops a big thing of the icing onto her plate, and she opens the Scooby Snacks, and she starts dipping the Scooby Snacks in the icing. I'm like, that's amazing. She's five years old. But then she, she looks at the Scooby Snacks. She's like, Dad, I don't want these. And she hands the Scooby Snacks to me. And then she takes her spoon and just starts eating the icing right off her plate. And when she can't get any more with the spoon, she just starts licking her plate. And, and she just could not get enough of this icing on the plate. There are so many temptations around us. For you as students, there are so many temptations around you. And temptations maybe that you are experiencing now with the freedom to indulge them like you have not experienced before. Um, there are people handing you plates of icing everywhere you turn on campus. And our default mode is to want it or to at least wonder what it's like to try it. And it could be lots of different things. It could be something like pornography. It could be something like uh, drinking too much. It could be um, wh whatever it is. Our, our default mode is to look at those plates of icing and think, I kind of want that. I want that thing right now. And um, we want it to satisfy us. And here's the thing. It, it kind of does, at least for a minute. At least for a minute, it satisfies us. But then what we realize is if it's going to keep satisfying us, we need more of it. And we just keep going for more and more plates of icing. And, and all of a sudden, we realize that, that it's not doing what it once promised it could do. The younger brother in this passage does this until he runs out of money. And then the next thing we see about this younger brother getting lost is that getting lost always involves self-deception. It always involves self-deception. Um, as us looking at the story of the younger brother, you know, we're outsiders reading this, and we know, like, hey, that's a bad idea. He should not do this. Um, you know, telling your father you wish he was dead, um, demanding inheritance right now. These are all things you should not call your parents and do this week. Um, going off to this far country, squandering wealth on prostitutes, pleasure, experiences. Obviously a bad idea. Why didn't the younger brother just realize that and not do it? Or maybe as an aside, you know, when you're tempted to sin, why don't you just not do it? You know it's not the right thing. Why don't you just not do it? Um, because when we are lost, we are always self-deceived. We're always self-deceived. One of the prophets in the Old Testament said this about our hearts. He said, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Deceitful, desperately sick. Who can understand their heart? It's Jeremiah 17, 9, if you wanted to look that up. Um, uh, we are the ones who are lost, and we are those who are deceived. And if we are in that situation, we don't know we're lost when we're lost. And when we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived. And the Bible says this is what our sin does to us. So we're lost and we don't know we're lost. But then the younger brother has this moment of realization. Second heading, realizing you're lost. Um, if you have ever been in the world of addiction, maybe you've struggled with some kind of addiction personally, or maybe uh, you've watched a family member or a friend battle some kind of addiction, whether it's a, a substance or, or pills or food or sex or anything like that, um, in the world of addiction and addiction recovery, there's something called a moment of clarity. And a moment of clarity is what all those people around the person who is addicted uh, really hope and pray for. The moment of clarity is when that person who is struggling with addiction has a moment of clarity and realizes the damage and the toll that their addiction is taking on them. And so that's why things like interventions are set up to help create and foster a moment of clarity for someone who is battling addiction. Um, 
this moment of clarity is what happens for this younger brother. Um, and what we see about realizing you're lost, it always includes honesty. To realize you're lost, it always includes honesty. Look at verse 17. It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Verse 18, I will go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He had this moment of clarity when he saw how deceived he had been, just living for this instant gratification and pleasure. He, he was eating out of a, a, a pig's trough. He was following a map to something other than his father's home. But he's honest with himself. It's part of realizing you're lost. Um, to be honest with yourself and with God about your lostness is the beginning steps what the Bible calls repentance. Repentance is when we've been doing things our own way and we realize we feel something deep inside of us that feels like um, a weight. It feels very weighty because we feel this almost like pressure inside that what I'm doing is not okay and it's not good for me and it's not good for those around me. And so repentance is when we begin to turn away from doing things our way and we turn back to God and his grace and mercy towards us. But you can't really do that. You can't really repent until you're willing to be honest with yourself and with God about the fact that you're lost, that you've been living for something besides him. Uh, so up in Alaska, there is a national park called the Katmai National Park. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but there, in this national park, there are cameras mounted in different locations around the park that give constant um, live stream feeds to the internet so people can like uh, log on from... Um, when I start talking about the internet in public, it makes me feel like I'm really old and really outdated, so just bear with me on this. But, but people can dial up to the internet uh, from their home, and uh, what they do with these, with these uh, webcams or whatever they are um, is they watch the brown bears in these national parks in Alaska. And apparently there's this thing called Fat Bear Week um, where the public watches on these um, webcams and they try to vote on which bear has gotten the fattest in preparation for hibernation. And it's like some big contest. I don't know what the winning bear gets um, or what the winning person gets. I'm not sure who gets the prize there. Um, but earlier this week, there were some people that logged on to this um, live stream camera to watch the bears, but they didn't see any bears. Instead, they saw a human. They saw a stranded hiker desperately pleading for help. And apparently this man was hiking um, by himself at the top of this mountain in Alaska, pretty intense, and clouds and rain moved in, and he, he lost the trail. And, and, and he, he, he's just lost. It's raining, it's cold, and he's by himself. And then he stumbles upon one of these cameras. And, you know, there's no audio on these cameras. It's only visual. And so these people, like probably like sitting in Detroit somewhere, are looking at this camera, and they see this man with no audio, just visual, um, doing a thumbs-down sign, saying, help me, help me. He's trying to mouth the words, help me, just anyone who's out there watching. And so they start making comments, in the sec and then someone gets a hold of a park ranger in this national park in Alaska. And I don't know where these people are sitting in their homes. And uh, sure enough, three hours later, this man who was cold and lost and covered in the rain and, and just the elements sees his rescue team hike up over the top of this mountain and come and rescue him. Now, to put your, yourself in the shoes of this man, can you imagine the relief that you would feel when you thought it was probably game over, and all of a sudden from this crazy incense with this camera, there's now this rescue team that's coming to take you home? What a relief. 
there's a feeling of relief that comes when you realize that you're lost. And you see that in this passage. You see a sense of relief with this younger brother. Verse 17 says that younger brother, he came to himself. Um, The relief comes when you realize that you no longer have to follow those other maps leading you to the wrong places. It comes when you realize that God is your true home. Um, Jesus says in other places in the Bible that he's the bread of life. And that whoever comes to him will no longer be hungry and will no longer be thirsty. That he's actually the thing that you're really looking for. All those other desires you feel find their culmination in him and their ultimate satisfaction in him. And what does this lead to? This realizing you're lost ultimately leads to third heading on your handout. It leads to being found. The younger brother realizes he's lost. He makes his plan to work his way back into the father's house. Look at verses 18 and 19. Great plan. He says, I'm going to arise, go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And what's he saying? He's saying, I don't deserve to go home. I'm too far gone. I've permanently ruined my status as your son. Um, But please, can I work my way back into the family? Dad, I know I've messed up big time. Can I work my way back into the house? But as you see in the passage, that's not how the father operates. And if that feeling resonates with you, you need to hear that that's not how God operates. Um, The Christian gospel does not say that you are too far gone to be a child of God. The Christian gospel says that you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. You're never so bad. Look at how the father responds. Verse 20. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, he recites what he rehearsed. Sin against heaven and before you. No longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What does the father do? He doesn't even let his son get through his rehearsed speech. He interrupts him. He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He throws this unbelievable party. This is the heart of the father to his lost son who's coming home. And this is God's heart to you. This is how God feels about you. And this is an amazing thing that's happening here. And there's actually a great cost to what's happening here. Part of the cost is that he runs to his son. And that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. It's not a big deal to see someone out running. In this culture, important wealthy men did not run. I mean, they're pulling their tunic up. They're sort of exposing their legs in ways that were just like bizarre and awkward. And it would bring shame upon himself and his household to lift his tunic and run in this manner that he's talking about. But what does the father do? He absorbs that shame on himself in order to get to his son that he loves. It's part of the cost. Uh, And there's obviously the cost of the party. The fattened calf. I mean, we all know how expensive a fattened calf is. is. This is not cheap stuff. Or the food, the clothing, the celebration. And think about this. The younger son had already taken his inheritance. So what's, where's this money coming from? It's family money now. It's the other family's money that he's using. Uh, the younger brother thought he was too far gone, but instead the father embraces him and throws a party. And you need to know tonight that this is how God treats you. This is how God treats you. He is the Father who comes running to you, who embraces you, who welcomes you into the party that He has thrown on your behalf. And what's the cost? 
The cost is His own Son. Uh, In order for you to come to the party, your sin, your lostness had to be paid for, but you don't have to pay for it. Jesus is the one who paid for it in full. And there's, you're not the exception to the good news. You're not the exception to that good news. You're not the one who truly is too far gone. If, if, if your insides are telling you that right now, that's a lie. You're not the exception to that. There's no sin that God does not forgive fully on the cross. Um, the cost of being found has been paid for in full. And we, we've got to respond to that. There are two responses worth noting in the passage. Responses to being found. The first is a younger brother's response. Look at the end of verse 24. And they began to celebrate. What does a younger brother do? He enters the party. He receives his gift of being forgiven and he goes into the party. That's what faith is. Faith is receiving and resting on the gift of what Jesus has done for you. Faith is entering the party. Um, This is how we're truly found, how we're no longer lost with our Father at the party. By receiving the gift. By faith. That's the younger brother's response. And that's all we get of the younger brother. He's in the party now. That's how it ends for the younger brother. What about the older brother's response? Look at verses 25 to 32. The older son's in the field. He came and drew near to the house, heard music and dancing, called one of the servants, asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. because he answered it. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. When the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older brother was angry that the younger brother got off easy. The younger brother was irresponsible and reckless. And instead of having to suffer um, what he deserved and, and, and kind of pay the consequences, he got a party thrown for him. And the older brother was angry. He was angry at the grace and mercy of the father. Why? Because his older brother was convinced that his obedience had earned him what he wanted with the father. That he didn't need the father to be gracious with him because he was good enough. He was good enough on his own. So therefore, the father actually owed him. And here's a question. Where do you see yourself in the story? Um, Are you the younger brother? Are you the older brother? Um, The younger brother has messed up and knows that he messed up. And so his challenge now is to believe that he's truly forgiven, uh, believe that the cost for this party has been paid in full, and to enter the party and to enjoy the party. The older brother is convinced that he doesn't need his father's grace, that he's obeyed enough, he's good enough, he's earned his way in, and he's angry that his little brother got off easy. So the challenge for the older brother is to actually see that his obedience cannot earn his father's love, that he actually already had his father's love. And when he thought he was so close to his father, he was actually far from using his obedience to keep him at a distance. If you're here tonight and you just feel really guilty, maybe from something over the last month, maybe from something over the summer, Maybe from something a few years ago that you just cannot shake. You feel guilty like there's a cloud that hovers over you everywhere you go. You feel like you are the one who has just messed up too bad to be forgiven by God. Do you see how much God loves you? 
and how much he really does forgive you? Do you see that you are not the exception to his grace? That you are invited into the party and God wants you to enjoy the party. And if you're here tonight and you're not feeling guilty at all, you're more angry about how others around you keep messing up and they're not living like they should on campus, um, do you see that your goodness cannot earn the Father's love? That he actually already loves you? He's always loved you. And that you still, even those good things you're doing, you still stand in need of his grace to you just as much as the younger brother does? Um, What's on offer to you tonight is the grace of Jesus Christ. It's grace both for younger brothers and for older brothers. And the invitation is to enter the party. Let's pray together.